0: Turn, if you would, this morning to the book of Genesis. To the book of Genesis. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. We are thankful for your mercies. We're thankful, Lord, for your goodness to us. And, Lord, as the song just mentioned, sometimes we don't always see it as quickly as we ought or in the ways that you've prepared it for us. But, Lord, you are good to us. And so for that, I say thank you, and I'm sure that many others do as well today. I pray that you'd bless now uh, this time that we have together to look into your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who would need this reminder, I pray that they'd be willing uh, to let that truth speak to them in the way that it needs to. I know that I have needed this message and we will continue to need it. So I pray that you'd work however you would see fit today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, we were in the book of First Samuel, and there we watched as the Amalekites invaded the land of Ziklag, which may not mean a whole lot to many of us if we didn't know the story, but it was in Ziklag where David and his men returned uh, from being out with the army of the Philistines, only to find that the Amalekites had taken the area. They had burned it with fire, the scripture says, and had taken captive the women and the children. And so that meant that David and the men who were with him, they had lost their families basically uh, overnight in a sense. And that's how they became aware of it. And in the midst of that, the men who were with David spoke of stoning him. And so David was greatly distressed, the scripture tells us. And in the midst of all that, it said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so as David went to God, here's what he found God to be. He found him to be the comforter or that advocate, that one who aided, that one who strengthened and supported. And it was a wonderful truth to consider because David was not the only one who found God to be the comforter in his life or to be that advocate. As you read through the scripture, any time a child of God turned to God in times of need, God was to that individual what they needed him to be and the blessing in that for us is this that with the unchanging nature of who God is God will continue to be our advocate and God will continue to be our comforter and our encourager provided we turn to him as we ought so it's something to be comforted by and encouraged by and thankful for okay so this morning we're going to continue and as we do we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be today, but before we get there, I want to share just a thought with us that I think all of us can relate to and understand in one way or another, but I want us to think about the fact that you and I, many of us at least, we lead pretty busy, hectic lives, do we not? And so the schedules can get busy, the routines can get kind of crazy, life can get pretty busy. So I want you to imagine for just a moment that life's been pretty busy, life's been pretty hectic, and you've almost reached that point where you say, you know, I cannot take this anymore, because sometimes we do reach that point, do we not? So imagine somehow we're able to get a couple of days to slip away, and we're able in those few days to find our happy place, whatever it might be. It might be, for some, the mountains. For others, it may be the ocean. For some, it may be a lake. Whatever it may be, imagine for just a moment you're able to find your happy place for a couple of days. And as you do, everything seems to be absolutely perfect. The temperature is exactly what you would want it to be in that situation. For me, I think of myself somewhere by the ocean, sitting in a chair, just listening to the waves roll in, whatever it may be for you, just imagine that that is happening, and you're able to relax, you're able to unwind. Maybe you find yourself enjoying coffee. Maybe you find yourself enjoying a good book. Maybe you find yourself taking several naps, whatever it may be. And at some point in this downtime, you'd probably say something like this to yourself. Man, oh man, I could get used to this. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Sitting by a lake, sitting in the mountains, you've got everything there that you want. You don't have your cell phone that you've got to worry about. You don't have the the silliness that you've got to deal with. So you sit there and you say, man, oh man, this is perfect. I could get used to this. And so while you sit there and you soak it all up, as you sit there and you enjoy all of it, as great as it is, what do you know in the back of your mind? You know this. This is not reality. As great as this is, as wonderful as this is, as relaxing as it may be, this is not reality. So what in the back of your mind do you know? Well, you know this. You know that Come next week, you've got to be back in the office. You're going to have to deal with that same person. You're going to have to address this situation. Whatever it is, you know that this is not reality, that you're enjoying at that moment, and you've got so many more things ahead of you to deal with and to address, and the craziness and the busyness of your life will very much uh, resume in the next few days. So you enjoy what you've got But you realize that that, too, is a part of your life's equation. Now, why mention that? Well, I mention that for this reason. For the last several weeks, we've been going through this study of who is God. And there's a reason for that. I've said from the very beginning that one of the reasons I wanted to preach this series, and I felt as though the Lord gave me liberty to have us do it, Is because we are living in a day and we are living in a time where people do not really understand who God is. They don't understand his nature, they don't understand his characteristics, they don't understand how God works and how God operates. And while we will never fully understand and grasp who God is, the Scripture does give us some insight on who he is, and it's helpful because if we really want to know something of God and it be accurate and not just what society has told us or what society has dreamed up, we can go to the Scripture and we can say, all right, this is who God is. And so for the last several weeks as we've been in this study, I've tried to bring out some positive aspects uh, of the nature of God, things that people could rejoice in and be excited about, things like God is our restorer. Isn't that a wonderful truth to consider that when we sin and when we fail, God is willing to restore us? Well, why is God willing to restore us? Because God is merciful. It's a wonderful thing to think about the mercy of God. It's a wonderful thing to think about the provision of God, that God is our provider. No one gripes about that. No one gets, uh, gets upset about that. No one says, don't preach about God being a provider because, well, that's a positive aspect of who God is. To preach that God is our comforter, as I did last week. To preach that. Nobody's offended. Nobody gets upset. Nobody says, hey, you're preaching way too much on God's comforting power. It's just not what offends people. And yet here is what we know to strictly deal with the mercy of God, the, the, the compassion of God, the love of God, the, the restoring nature of God, his mercy, his, his provision, and his comfort to just deal with those aspects of who God is. If you don't deal with some other aspects of it, then here is what you've got to admit, that this is not reality that there are other aspects of who God is that may not be as positive in the minds of some people as they would like it to be, but if we are going to really understand who God is, then we have to take in the whole picture, we have to take in the whole context, and not just the parts that sound appealing to our flesh. You understand this, right? And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at a few verses of Scripture, not because we're not familiar with them and not because we don't know kind of what's being taught in these Scriptures, but I want us to see this. And the reason that we're starting in Genesis chapter 3 this morning is because I want us to see the consistent nature of God from beginning to end. Okay, I want us to see that, as I have said on many occasions before, nothing has changed when we're speaking of the nature of God so we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3 and what do we have in this particular chapter well we have Adam and Eve who have been created who have been placed in the Garden of Eden and sin has not yet entered the world they are living in a perfect world they are living in a perfect environment they are enjoying fellowship with God and really the only instruction that they have been given of a thou shalt not so to speak is this is thou shalt not eat of this particular tree the fruit of it. So you can eat of any other tree, you can enjoy everything that the garden and the land has to offer, but of this particular tree thou shalt not eat thereof or from this particular one. So as that is clear and as that is understood, here's what we know by the time we get to where we're going to be today, that Eve was tempted by Satan and she partook of the fruit. And then Adam, he also took of the fruit when Eve gave that to him. And so here's what we know is that is the first act of disobedience and rebellion to God's word, to God's authority. That was the first act of disobedience To God's word and to God's authority. Now, as we read through the scriptures of chapter 3, here's what we find is that they are going to be the recipients of great mercy. Adam and Eve are going to be the recipients of mercy, yet at the same time, in verse number 15, here's what we read. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now as you go down to verse number 23, it says this. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken, so he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned, turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So in chapter 3, what do we have? We have Adam and Eve, man, disobeying and rebelling against the word of God and the authority of God. Correct? Okay. As a result of their sin, God is going to show them great mercy. He is going to show them great kindness. He is going to show unto them and manifest unto them great love. And yet at the same time, what is he going to impose? He is going to impose a consequence for the sin that they engaged in. As a result of your disobedience, as a result of your rebellion, as a result of defying what I have told you to do explicitly, there were no questions about whether or not this was allowed. There was no question as to whether or not what was and was not permitted. As a result of this, here is what God was going to do. He was going to impose some consequences, and he was going to impose on them some discipline. Some discipline. As a result of their disobedience, what did God have to do as a holy, righteous, sinless God? He had to discipline them. Even with an act of mercy associated with it, God was forced to discipline Adam and Eve... Because of their sin of rebellion toward God's word. So in chapter 3, what did Adam and Eve discover God to be? They discovered God to be a God of discipline or a disciplinarian as well as a merciful, restoring God. So somebody says, well, that's in chapter 3. Does that really define who God is throughout the scripture? Well, the answer to that would be yes. It does define who God would be throughout the rest of the scripture. How do we know? Because in chapter 4, like we looked at several weeks ago, what do we have? We have Cain and Abel who brought their offerings unto the Lord. Abel's was received by God and Cain's was rejected, was it not? Yeah, That's how the story unfolds. That's what we're told. And as a result of. The rejection of Cain's offering to the Lord. Cain became jealous with his brother Abel. And in his anger and in his jealousy, what did he do? He rose up against Abel and he slew him. And as a result of that, what had to happen? God had to impose a consequence on Cain for his actions. He had to discipline him. So what did God do? Well, notice in chapter 4, verse number 11, it says this. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now we're not going to deal with the whole story and how everything unfolds and takes place, but I just want us to see this, that with Adam and Eve and with Cain, as a result of their disobedience and as a result of their sin, Who did they discover God to be? They discovered God to be a disciplinarian that God deals with and God addresses sin. God punishes sin because he has to because of his holy nature and the fact that God's people are called to be holy. When the holiness is not met, then a consequence has to be imputed on the one who has sinned. So is Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4 the only place we find an example of God's discipline? Well, of course not. Where do you find it throughout the Old Testament? Well, almost, somewhat of an exaggeration, but almost on every page you read. As you read through the Old Testament, as you watch the children of Israel, as you watch the way that they handled their relationship with God, so many times the relationship between Israel and with God was a relationship where there was disobedience and rebellion to God's Word in their lives. Now, that would have been individually, of course, for those in the Israeli nation, but even corporately, what do you see? You see in the Old Testament so many times that God had to impose a consequence on the nation because of the nation's sin. He had to discipline them because they knew what God's word said, they knew what God's word declared, but they refused to submit to it, to yield to it, and so because of their disobedience, God disciplined them and punished them. This makes sense, does it not? All right. So you've got the Old Testament, and it is full of examples of men and women who chose to live in disobedience, who chose to do their own thing, and God disciplined them. But yet, as I've said so many times throughout this study, what kind of a culture are we living in? Well, we're living in a culture that wants to make up their own ideas of God, and we've got a culture that, uh, that says, you know, well, I don't like that aspect of God. And, and then you've got those who think they are theological in their argument. Have you ever noticed this? There are people who think they've really found this loophole, and they think they've really come up with something that no one's ever thought about, that no one's ever discussed, and they don't realize how many times their argument is pathetic. But their argument sounds something like this. That's law, brother. And that's not the age in which we live in anymore. You've heard this argument, have you not? All you've got to do is have some conversations with religiously minded people who think they're really sharp and really clever. And and that's Old Testament, brother, and we live in the New Testament. That was law and we live in grace. And so, because we need to understand this, and you may need to help somebody in the future understand this, I want us to turn to the book of Acts this morning. The book of Acts. Why would we be in the book of Acts this morning? For this reason, if there was ever a people living in the age of grace, it was those who were living in the days in which Acts was written and and Acts was recorded, right? Right? I mean, by the time you get to Acts, this is fairly clear that Jesus Christ has come to this earth. He has lived a sinless life. He has died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He has risen again victorious over the grave. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, he ascends up to the right hand of the Father once more. So if ever the law was abolished and if ever a people were living under grace, it was those who were living in the days of Acts and what is recorded in this book. So go to Acts chapter 5 this morning for just a moment. In Acts chapter 5, what we have here basically is the early church or the first church. And in verse number 1, here's what we've got. We've got a certain man named Ananias mentioned, and it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. So you've got Ananias and Sapphira who are in this church, this early church, this new church, in this age of grace, and they have sold a possession. Well, what was this possession they sold? Well, verse number 3 lets us know that it was a piece of land. We don't know how big the piece of land was. We don't know how much money they got for the land. All that is immaterial. But here is what we know, is we know that they owned some land, and as a result of selling the land, here is what they wanted to do. They wanted to give the proceeds of the sale to the church or to the ministry of the church. Now, verse number 4, I want us to see this. It says that whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Well, what does that mean? It means this, that as landowners, the church had no authority to tell them what to do with the land. And the leaders acknowledged their lack of authority. It would be like me saying to you, if you own some land, hey, hey, you have no authority to own that land, so therefore sell it. You know what you would say to me? You would say to me, you have no authority to tell me that I have no authority to own the land. And you would be right. See, there are just certain things that a church cannot tell its people. There are just certain things that the leaders cannot dictate upon the people. And the leaders of this church certainly understood this, that Ananias and Sapphira, they had some land. And and what they did with the land, it was totally up to them. And when they sold the land, guess what the church leaders understood? That what they did with the money was completely up to Ananias and Sapphira. You realize this, don't you? that the church leaders realized it is completely within your right to do with it whatever you want. If you want to buy a new house with the sale of your land, fantastic. If you want to buy some, some new mules or some new you know, horses or chariots, whatever it may be, that is within your rights. Do whatever you want. But what did Ananias and Sapphira do? They lied about the sell price of the land. And so when they came to the leaders of the church, as they came and they presented the proceeds of the cell, here's what they did. They intentionally misrepresented what they made from the land or from the cell of the land. And here's what it says in verse number 3. It says, But Peter said, Ananias, Why have Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So notice what happened in verse number 5. It says this, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. What does that mean? It means that Ananias died that day immediately. Well, why did Ananias die? Why why did he die? He died because he lied to the Holy Spirit, or that's what he was attempting to do. And you know what God said? There's a consequence for that. And I've got to discipline that. You can't do what you've done and there not be some kind of a consequence imposed on you. And so what was God to Ananias? He was a disciplinarian. A little bit later, the Scripture tells us that they brought in Sapphira. They asked her some leading questions to see if she'd be honest, to see if she'd tell the truth. And what did Sapphira do? She went along with the plot that she and her husband had set in place. And as a result, she lied to the church leaders herself. And what happened to her? Well, the Scripture says in verse number 10, Then fell she down straightway at his head, or at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. You know what happened to her? She died as well as her husband because God imposed a consequence as a result of her disobedience. Somebody may say, well, you know, that's kind of those one rare examples of God's discipline in the life of a disobedient person in the New Testament. Well, you may believe that, but you'd have a hard time then reading through 1 Corinthians. Understand this, right? Uh, The believers in Corinth, what did they have? They had the word of God. They knew what was expected of them. They knew what was required of them. They knew what they were and were not supposed to do when it came to their service of the Lord and their serving of the Lord. And what were they doing? They were completely fouling it up. They were completely messing it up, especially in the realm of of the Lord's Supper or communion there in the church. And what did Paul say? Paul said this, For this reason there are many who are sick among you, and there are some who sleep which are dead, which means this, the sickness and the death that some are dealing with and have experienced, that is because of God's punishment in their lives. Somebody says, okay, well, that's kind of a rare example as well. then you'd have a hard time dealing with this scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. Why would we have a hard time dealing with Hebrews chapter 12? Because it's there that we've looked at for several weeks in our Sunday night study where the writer makes this clear, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. God is not going to allow disobedience. God is not going to allow rebellion toward his authority and to his word. And so in Hebrews, it is extremely clear that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And if there is no chastening, then the scripture refers to that one who is a bastard or one who is a fatherless child. And so you can't walk away from the book of Hebrews and say, well, I don't know that God really disciplines sin. Yes, friends, he disciplines sin. Somebody says, okay, well, you got Ananias and Sapphira, you've got 1 Corinthians, you've got Hebrews, but do you have anything else? Well, as a matter of fact, we do. What do we have in the book of Galatians? We have this in chapter 6, verse number 7. Be not deceived. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be lied to. Don't be allowed to to take the bait. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You will not make God the fool in this. God will not be mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, I know that you know this, and I'm fully aware of this, that in that context it says that we can sow that which is positive and that which is helpful, and the joy of that is knowing that we will reap the blessings of doing what is right. But at the same time, it's very clear in Galatians chapter 6 verse number 8 that if we sow seeds to the flesh, we're going to reap that of corruption. What does that mean? It just means this. There is going to be a consequence if you and I make poor choices in our life. God is going to discipline us when we make bad decisions, when we know what was right for our lives. I hope this is fairly clear that throughout the Scripture, over and over again, here is what we see, that God is a disciplinarian and God is one who imposes a consequence. Would I much rather stand before you this morning and preach that God is merciful and God is a restorer and God is a provider and God is a comforter and God is love and God is this and God is great and God is awesome and you just, God is everything we want him to be. Well, yeah, I'd rather preach that kind of a sermon. But again, that's not the full measure of reality. God is a disciplinarian. And God punishes sin when you and I engage in it. Now this morning you may sit here and you say, Brother Kyle, I know that. I already know that. Trust me, I'm well acquainted with that truth. I get you. See, you know people who don't buy into this. They believe God's grace covers everything and it's all going to be okay and it's all going to work out and and I don't have to worry about anything. Everything's going to be just fine. It's those types of people that, friends, you need to have a biblical position when it comes to dealing with them so that they're forced to answer certain questions they might like to avoid. Part of the purpose of this study is to equip us to understand how to converse with those who don't know who God is in a way that would be accurate and biblical. So if you meet someone who says, listen, God doesn't punish and God understands and God's a God of mercy and God is a God of love, well, you can say amen to all of that and say to that individual, yes, that is who God is, but you need to be able to say to them, whomever it may be, He is all that. What about Ananias and Sapphira? What about the believers in Corinth? What about what the writers of Hebrews chapter 12 said? What about what Paul declared in Galatians? What do we do with that? Because people need to know all the aspects of God and not just the portions of God that they want to consider. With that in mind, I just want to throw something out for our consideration, and you can address this however you want, but I I want to ask you this morning to answer this question, and this question's simple, and that is this, is do you really, really, truly, honestly believe that God is a disciplinarian and one who imposes consequences? Now we may sit here this morning and say, well, of course, Brother Kyle, I just told you that I believe that. Uh, you just mentioned that we already know this. And I nodded my head and, and gave affirmation to the fact that I already know this and I believe this and you're not having to prove anything to me. I know that that's what we say, but I want to ask us, do you and I ever live sometimes like we don't believe there will be a consequence? I don't know about you, but it's certainly been true of me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat acquainted with the Word of God. I don't know all of it, but, you know, preaching it for this many number of years, you know, preaching it as long as I have, I'm somewhat acquainted with it. So it's not like I'm ignorant to the Word of God. I'm not ignorant to what is expected. I'm not ignorant as to, to some of the, the, the things I should and should not, the thou's and the thou not's. I'm, I'm somewhat acquainted with this. And, and you know what I find sometimes? That my flesh says, ah, go ahead. Yea, hath God said. Am I the weird one in this? Have you ever been there? You know, the the scripture says and you know it. But you just go ahead and do what you want to do. Isn't it amazing how many times we can justify it and we can say things like this? It'll be okay. It's going to be fine. I know that this is what God has said, but, but I, think, I, I think I've got an angle on this that will be all right. If you've ever been there, you, you, you know that this is true and that I'm not making this up. God says, basically, I already thought of that angle. And you're still not getting by with it. You think that you're clever, you think that you're smart, and you think that because you've justified this that you're going to be fine. I don't know if this would be true of your life. I only know that it's true of my life, that there have been times my flesh has kicked in, I've done what I've wanted to do, I've disobeyed God's word, and the discipline came, And, and it's ignorant of me, but you know what it's done? It's almost like it's caught me off guard and surprised me, like, well, why did that happen? It happened because God is a disciplinarian. And I'm not going to get by with anything just like Adam and Eve didn't get by with anything. I'm not going to get by with anything just like Cain didn't get by with anything. I'm not going to get by with anything just like no other person on this earth is going to get by with anything. And guess what? You'll not get by with it either. Brother Kyle, that's not positive. That doesn't take me to my mental, spiritual, happy place. I know, trust me. I would rather tell you today, God is love, God is forgiving, and do whatever you want, there will be no consequence. But it's just not true. So what do you and I need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded of who God is, and that is this. He is a disciplinarian. And so the reality of it is, as I mentioned in Sunday school this morning to to my class, the reality is there could be someone in here this morning and you've been dabbling with sin. You've been engaging in some things that you know you ought not be doing and you're not doing some other things that you know you should be doing. It's possible that there are some in here this morning and you are living in disobedience to God's word. And in the back of your mind, here's what you think. You think it'll be okay. You think you'll be fine. You believe that you'll be the exception. I'm just going to say it one more time. You're wrong. You're wrong. You'll not be the exception any more than anyone else is the exception. So what do we need to recognize? We need to recognize God's authority that whenever he speaks, he means it. It's expected to be obeyed, whatever it is he says. And if we choose to disobey, a consequence will take place because God will discipline us. So I ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that you need to address, that you need to take care of, that you need to say, God, I know that I've been living in disobedience. I'm not standing here telling you today, ah, you're going to die just like Ananias and Sapphira. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is this, is there will be a discipline action at some point, and you and I will not enjoy it, whatever it is, because God knows how to get our attention. Who is God? He is a disciplinarian, and we need to understand that and recognize that in our daily lives. So I'll stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this morning. I pray that you would use this message to remind us of some things that maybe we don't care for, maybe we don't like, maybe we'd rather not be told, but we need to hear it. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in here this morning who, like myself on so many occasions, they've known what your word says, they know right now what your word says, but they're just not doing it for whatever reason, I pray that today you'd help them to see that this will not take them any place they want to go, that this will lead to a consequence that they will not enjoy. And today I pray that you'd help whoever may be struggling to get it right. And God, I know that for myself in the future, I'll need to be reminded of this, and so everyone will need to be reminded of this at some point. So would you help us, Lord, to just be obedient so as to avoid your discipline? I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.